Good morning. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, book by book, chapter by chapter, and here we're looking at Isaiah 57 today. We were kind of already hinting at that. There was that metaphorical language at the end of 56, all you beasts of the field come to devour, all you beasts in the forest. And we were talking about how that might have referred to the idolatry that had crept in to Judah. And that seems to be borne out because today it's a focus on idolatry and all the practices of the idolatry. You've got some sexual immorality going on, these weird uh, ceremonies that were going on underneath the oaks and terebinths. And so there's a description of, okay, not all is well in the promised land right now, but even in the midst of all of that, there is still hope. There is still the call, the same call that John the Baptist would later cry, uh, prepare the way for the Lord. And God does prepare his way to bring restoration. So uh, this chapter, it's, it's bringing a lot of things together that we've already seen in Isaiah, things that we'll see later. There's that phrase again, there is no peace for the wicked. We saw that back in chapter 48, but now a different kind of spin to it. So it's a, it's a very connected chapter, I'll put it that way. Joining us today, we've got Pastor Ben Ball, who has been on Thy Strong Word before, but I don't believe with me, so I'm very glad to have him on today. He's pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois. Welcome, brother. Good to have you with us today. Well, thanks, Pastor Espinosa. It's good to be on uh, with you. Um, yeah, it's the first time we're on together. I've been on, you know, back in the olden days when Pastor Whedon was the host, but it's good to be on with you today. <laughs> yes, the olden days. I like referring to it that way. <laughs> so, so, so now in, in the in this new age of thy strong word, looking at Isaiah, uh, and and we're, I mean, we we're pretty deep in the book now. You know, fifty-seven. This is like the back. Um, just like the, the back nine, for sure, if not just like the last couple of holes, to put it that way. And, uh, I mean, we're kind of back on idolatry. I think it's interesting, though, because, you know, when you're just kind of looking at stuff in Isaiah, you see kind of from chapter 1 to chapter 66, man, Isaiah doesn't like idolatry, right? And then, <laughs> and you might think he's just kind of like, you know, beating a dead horse here. But it, it seems like this is referring to a little slightly different situation, doesn't it? Yeah, especially um, after he's, you know, in the previous chapters, 52, 53, with the suffering servant, and then yeah. chapter 55, with, again, this glorious um, call to believe in the suffering servant, to come to the waters freely, to have all the gifts, and now it comes, well, the gifts are being rejected, and, and, and not just rejected kind of passively, but actively by these vile practices, which we see our people are engaging in. And that's why this chapter, if, if it's not rated R, it certainly is PG-13 uh, for, <laughs> right. for, some, for some of the things that, uh, that the idolatrous activities that the people have fallen into. I think lots of times we think, okay, well, if someone's an unbeliever, that just means that you know, they, their thoughts are different than ours as Christian people or as the children of God back in the Old Testament. We see, no, their actual actions and the things that they do are very, right. very different from God's holy people and completely opposed and contrary to his will for not only their own lives, but then how they treat others, as we see with even the most wicked of things of sacrificing their children to false gods like we see in this chapter. 
right? Yeah, it's never just a matter of like, oh, well, you have one name for God and I call him by a different name, just kind of different perspectives. It's like, well, yeah, there's different names and perspectives, but it, it gets borne out in very different kinds of actions. And it's as strong a yes. difference. It's the difference between good and evil itself. And as you were saying, uh, definitely uh, a PG-13 rated R kind of chapter, as is not that uncommon, really, um, in the Old Testament or really throughout the whole Bible. But in the midst of all that, I mean, some really interesting stuff. It opens actually... It's interesting. I'm not sure I've seen it used this way before, but like the the first part of 57 actually it almost sounds like something that I could see used at a funeral or something. There's this idea that, you know, even in the midst of chaos, God is still going to bring peace and rest to his people even in the midst of death. I mean, it, it does start out actually with like this silver lining, this hope that's like breaking through a, a pretty dark chapter. That's exactly right. It, it it brings us back to the suffering servant, this righteous, this righteous man, the righteous one, and then um, there's hope for the ones that are following him, his his people. They have peace. They have rest uh, as they lived um, in the holiness that he gave to them. You know, salvation from the calamity that would befall the rest of the people who are unbelieving. They have it, and and so that's good news. Right. right, And it makes sense then that we, we have this uh, tradition of reading this the back half of this chapter in Isaiah 57 on Pentecost evening, uh, because I mean, the situation of Pentecost is exactly that, right? Like in the midst of the, the rejection of the suffering servant, uh, the rejection of God by people who knew better, um, and the, the being given over into these practices of idolatry, and then the persecution of the church, in the midst of all that, there's God sending the Spirit, bringing restoration, um, and creating joy, uh, even in the midst of calamity. Exactly, and especially at Pentecost, when we get to, when we get to the end of the chapter, hopefully we'll make it there today, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, that, that peace is for those who are far near. So it's, even, it's for uh, God's covenant people of the Old Testament, but it's also for all the people of God for whom our Lord Jesus Christ died, the whole world, and he calls them all to the peace that only he can give uh, through the salvation of the cross. Absolutely. Well, let's go ahead and dig into this. As we do, would you say a prayer for us and for everyone listening with, along with us today? Let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Blessed Lord, who has caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant that we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them. That by patience and comfort of thy holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life which thou hast given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, I think uh, your comments, I think, helped us appreciate the context a little bit. I mean, I was mentioning the stuff in 56, and you were mentioning the, the stuff in the earlier chapters relating to the depiction of the suffering servant. So I think we've kind of already set the stage. I want to read just the first two verses. It does immediately go into uh, verse three, continuing the, the contrast and the thought. But just because there's so much in these first two verses, I want to just kind of unpack that and make sure that we understand. So here's just the first two verses of chapter 57 of the book of Isaiah. The righteous man perishes and no one lays it to heart. Devout men are taken away while no one understands. For the righteous man is taken away from calamity. He enters into peace. They rest in their beds who walk in their uprightness. 
Yeah, so the, the righteous man is the exact same term that's used back of the suffering servant back in chapter 53, uh, verse 11. So uh, there uh, he has uh, anguish of soul, but he is going to be um, make many righteous. He bears their iniquities. And so here, now it's you know, going from chapter 53 now to chapter 57, this righteous one, the suffering servant, who is our Lord Jesus Christ, perishes, but no one considers what exactly is going on here. So you, you think um, about you know, the great mystery of the cross it, and the events of the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ, that our Lord Jesus knew exactly what was happening. I mean, Isaiah mm-hmm. had prophesied of the things that were going to take place, and this was, of course, in the mind of God before the foundation of the world and before he made this world. He knew that um, God the Father would be sending his eternal Son to do these very things. But nobody knew exactly what was happening. So mm-hmm. you have uh, Pontius Pilate. He thinks he's just trying to get rid of a political problem. Right. Um, the leaders of the people, uh, the leaders of the Jews, well, they don't like Jesus because, of course, he is claiming to be the Son of God, but they don't realize that they're playing a part in the salvation of the world by their rejection of the Messiah. Uh, the right. disciples, they're pretty much clueless, um, even though Jesus has told them on many occasions what he was going to do and what he had come to do. And, of course, there's the famous thing in Matthew chapter 16 about after Peter gives the great confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and then Jesus says, oh, yeah, right, I am, and this is how it's going to be. I'm going to suffer many things, be crucified, die, and so forth. And then Peter says, no, it's not going to happen. And then right, Jesus right. tells him, get behind me, Satan, right? It, it, so, it seems like there wasn't anybody who understand, even though he had predicted it, even to his disciples, that, like, yes, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to come back to life, right? He said right. that several times. It seems like it, no, everyone was like, well, maybe he means that, like, in a, in a spiritual way, in a metaphorical <laughs> way. You yeah. know, like, are we missing something? Right? It seems like the only person who maybe understood what he was saying was somehow, and it's unclear how that exactly works, is the thief that's being crucified next to him. He seems right, to be the, the only guy who sees it coming. Yeah, the one you would least expect yeah. would understand uh, what yeah. was happening uh, with Christ dying. He gets it. Well, right. so this is Isaiah kind of uh, leading us prophetically to see when the, the suffering servant endures his suffering, when he perishes, nobody gets it. And that's also connects us, of course, to Easter. It's after the Son of Man has risen from the dead. Of course, don't you remember, right? Don't you remember how he told you that the mm-hmm. Son of Man would suffer many things, the third day rise from the dead? And then they remembered his words, right? So all these things, they got to come into the memory of the people of God after the resurrection of Jesus as the fullness of what's going on here in Isaiah 57 and had been prophesied in you know, 52 and 53, comes to its fullness. So Isaiah's just kind of saying, nobody gets it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nobody understands it. So that's true with our Savior, that people didn't get what was going on. Pilate didn't, the Jews didn't, his disciples didn't. But he is doing this atoning, salvific act for the world as the one righteous, faithful son of God and son of Judah, who is king and offers himself fully for as an atoning sacrifice. Nobody gets right. that, but it gets preached. 
Now, at the very same time, the second part of um, verse 1 is that there's also other devout, righteous men. The same thing is going to happen to them, and nobody gets that either. So this is also kind of a prophetic um, revelation of how it's going to be for the church, the body of Christ, the people that follow Jesus, we, his disciples today. There will be suffering and cross-bearing which we will endure as we follow our Lord Jesus. And as a matter of fact, of course, he, he tells us it's going to happen. You know, right. This is the, I, always, I tell my members this all the time. You know, when they're enduring suffering of body or in spirit, um, especially for things that are beyond their control, uh, when Jesus said, if any man would be my disciple, let him take up his cross daily and follow me, he right. actually meant that. Yeah, he, was, he wasn't talking about your jewelry. <laughs> no, he was not. And the thing is, nobody understands what's going on with that. That is, mm-hmm. it's hard for ourselves, even we, who are disciples of Jesus, to understand right. the suffering which we might endure. But, of course, the world who might be um, uh, putting such suffering upon us, well, they don't understand that we are bearing witness to our Lord Jesus Christ at all. Well, and and, and particularly, right, not even just putting uh, suffering, but but putting death. And and I I think that when it says taken away there, uh, I I think that uh, it is kind of, I mean, I think it is an inclusive term that can include all these things that we're discussing. But I, I think it's at the center focus of it. It's talking about being taken away in terms of, you know, taken away from this world and that no one yeah. understands what's going on. By all appearances, like, ha, we won. We killed him. They're not talking anymore. We got rid of this problem the same way as you were saying, you know, that pilot and all the rest would have thought in the case of our Lord Jesus. But uh, the the mystery here is that actually they've been taken away from the mess that you've made. You, yeah. You've actually yeah. let them, you know, <laughs> enter into peace. And it's described as, as rest in their beds. And this is interesting because when I read this, my mind went uh, straight to the wisdom of Solomon. Um, and because I had actually read that like uh, not too long ago. And it just mm-hmm. struck me how actually I, I had not made this connection before, but the wisdom of Solomon, which of course is a part of the Apocrypha of the Old Testament. Uh, which we actually do have a, a very uh, fan, I mean, it's a fantastic thing that we did this. We have a, like a Lutheran study Bible edition of the Apocrypha, which includes yes. the wisdom of Solomon. Definitely recommend that. And we we have actually in there, I didn't realize that there's this connection, though. It seems like it's drawing on Isaiah 57, because it says here in chapter 3 of Wisdom of Solomon, but the souls of the righteous are in the hand of God, and no torment will ever touch them. In the eyes of the foolish, they seem to have died, and their departure was thought to be a disaster, and they're going from us to be their destruction, but they are at peace. I mean, so, I mean, it's it's just striking to me, like, it just feels like almost the, ex- I mean, some of the exact same words even, um, but just kind of like, uh, just kind of elaborated on different perspective, but this idea that, that yes, you know, we, we can say um, even though the Bible doesn't say like lots of things about the intermediate state, it does say these things that, yeah, when when someone who is in Christ, who is in faith, uh, dies, even if the world meant it for the worst possible evil, and surely it is evil, um, you know, death itself, and particularly the death of a, a righteous man, right? 
like that's to say a man who um, is being perhaps uh, executed or uh, punished for something that they didn't do, at least, uh, is as evil as that is, there is still peace and rest in Christ because nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's exactly right. So you, you have it. You have it first with our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the one righteous man, and his death looks so horrific and terrible. But it actually is the most beautiful thing in all the world. That that for us, we, as St. Paul says, we preach Christ crucified. We preach this horrible thing that looks so bad and was so unjust, but it is the most glorious thing because it's thereby we God gives life and the forgiveness of sins. And then for us, whether our deaths are you know, we pray that God would give us a beautiful death surrounded by our family and we right. just fall asleep. Or if it is under intense persecution and seems to be an evil death, God flips it all around and makes it glorious because it then is the means by which he brings us into the presence of himself and all the heavenly hosts and all the saints who have gone before us. And there is this divine um Rest. And um, Luther comments uh, in the same way uh, when he's talking about this very passage. He said, Mm. um, this is what they enjoy. They are unconcerned about the world. They rest in the Lord as it happened to John Huss. We don't know if God's decided to remove us before calamity strikes. Um, It certainly threatens our German region unless the last day should come, I hope. So he, he says, you know, we are under this, con- I mean, he, of course, was under the threat of the Turk, which is what he right. was talking about in his comments. Right. But he knows, boy, bad things could happen to us. It happened to John Huss, I mean, right. under religious persecution. But they enjoy an unconcerned condition about the sadnesses of this world, the calamities that whatever the people of God faced in this life, that is now undone through death into the right. glorious rest that God gives them in Jesus Christ. It's great. And so that's why it's a great promise and comfort and consolation to the faithful, especially right. in the face of all this horrible stuff that's going on, um, as we see start in, chat, in verse 3. Well, yes, yeah, indeed. And um, we only have a few minutes left before we have to go into our break here. But right, it does really, these two verses, which, I mean, you can just get a lot out of just, I mean, they really just stand out in this second portion of Isaiah. But they do fit their context well, talking about this idea of, you know, turning to the perspective and saying, hey, look, there were survivors in Judah, not everybody was yep. taken into exile in Babylon, and the people who are left—it's a mess. They're, they're watchmen. The the pastors and the prophets who are supposed to be keeping an eye out for idolatry have failed. Idolatry has has definitely not even just you know crept in, but has has gone in and infiltrated and taken root, and is just um, just all out, just all over the place. And that what follows, as you were saying, that's the description. So I mean, yeah, if if the righteous, um, you know, who were in faith. In, in the amongst the people of Judah, if they died, they were certainly being given uh, peace and and rescue from the mess that Judah had devolved into. So we have to go over the second uh, portion here uh, through verse 10 a little bit more quickly. But I just want to make sure that we, we get through at least verse 10 here before our break. And we can still have, a I think, a little bit of time to make a few comments on talking about just what kind of idolatry was this that was going on. And of course, Uh, how that relates to our situation as well. So picking it up at verse 3, going through verse 10. But you, 
Draw near, sons of the sorceress, offspring of the adulterer and the loose woman. Whom are you mocking? Against whom do you open your mouth wide and stick out your tongue? Are you not children of transgression, the offspring of deceit? You who burn with lust among the oaks, under every green tree, who slaughter your children in the valleys, under the clefts of the rocks? Among the smooth stones of the valley is your portion. They, they are your lot. To them you have poured out a drink offering. You have brought a grain offering. Shall I relent for these things? On a high and lofty mountain you've set your bed, and there you went up to offer sacrifice. Behind the door and the doorpost you've set up your memorial. For deserting me, you've uncovered your bed. You have gone up to it, you have made it wide, and you have made a covenant for yourself with them. You have loved their bed. You have looked on nakedness. You journeyed to the king with oil and multiplied your perfumes. You sent your envoys far off. You sent down even to Sheol. You were wearied with the length of your way, but you did not say, did you not say it is hopeless? You found new life for your strength, so you were not faint. So, wow, just um, very, just a, a scathing accusation here. And it reminds me of the way that John the Baptist uh, addressed the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees who were coming when he calls them in the, the offspring of vipers, right? And so similarly here, it's like you, you offspring of sorceresses and adulterers and loose people and transgression and deceit, um, not necessarily saying that like you're, you're literally the sons of such people, like, like it's just an insult, but this is, this is your nature. This is the kind of people you are. And he's talking about the people who are in Judah. This is what's going on there in the land that God promised to give to his people. Yes. So it's really um, kind of helpful to note here is this transition that he makes that that our hearers probably wouldn't pick up. I mean, they might pick it up, but it's um, not so clear in our English translation. So in the first few verses, um, verses 1 to 5, or excuse me, 3 to 5, he's, he speaks in um, a masculine plural. That's the you. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's all of you people that are doing this. You know, it's kind of this you all, specifically yeah. towards the men. But then he makes this transition um, in verse 6 that the you is this feminine singular. So mm. that becomes like when you think of um, the church is the bride of Christ. Yeah. But now the people of Judah have, um, again, this gets to the PG-13 R-rated stuff. Right. They've become a whore. Right. A, like a prostitute. And that is, it shows the, you know, the utter deprivation um, of uh, life and faith that has happened to the people. And, they, and they've engaged in these practices. So, but it's like the totality of the people are doing this, uh, where they should be uh, like the pristine bride of God as his holy people. They're the exact opposite. And right. it's, it's really, it's bad. No, it's, certainly, it's, it's bad. And it's, it's bad not just because of the individual level, right? Speaking on the you all, like it's bad enough mm -hmm. as an individual to, to give in to our, our basis desires to the neglect of uh, the, the people who we, we should be serving, the people who, uh, the responsibilities that God has given us. It's bad enough on the individual level, but it's terrible on the collective level 
because on, on the collective level where we're called to be, you know, a people of God, and as you were saying, you know, the bride of Christ, right? We, we go and we pollute that and, and we, we, you know, again, you know, using the, this, this, um, this stark imagery, you know, I mean, it's, it's like we're, we're, we're selling or we're, you know, uh, put, putting the bride of Christ out in the street corner, is yeah. what's going on. I mean, so it's it's even just it's even more of a scandal on the collective level. And I, I want to give you a chance to develop this thought some more. We have to go into our break, but everybody, hang on. We're looking at Isaiah chapter fifty-seven here on Thy Strong Word, and we'll be right back. On the next Joy, some exuberant music for Christmas and Advent. Some very early, some rather recent. From the dancing Baroque of Michael Praetorius to the bold and brassy side of John Rutter, we have an hour that will lift your spirit. This is Ron Clam. Tune us in this week for Joy. Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. on KFUO. Are you the type of person who loves their community and wants it to be the best it can be? Now it's easier than ever to do your part. Go to RecycleMo.com to see just how easy it is to recycle the right way. Or if you already recycle and want to be as efficient as possible, RecycleMo.com can tell you what should and should not be recycled in your area. Become part of the clean recycling movement today. It's the right thing to do. Sponsored by the Missouri Department of Natural Resources. Did you know that your individual retirement account may make the best gift to KFUO? The IRS now allows individuals 70 and a half or older to transfer their required minimum distribution directly to charity and avoid paying the associated income tax. These gifts can provide regular long-term resources to KFUO. If you have questions about making an IRA gift to KFUO, call me, Mary, at 314-996-1518. We'll send a representative out to help answer your questions and help you establish a legacy of giving to your favorite radio station, Worldwide KFUO. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 57, and we're joined today by Pastor Ben Ball, pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois. If you have any questions for me or Pastor Ball, please do a, give us a call, uh, or you can send an email. You can call 1-800-730-2727, or if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850, or you can send that email to kfuo at kfuo.org. So we were just looking at the first 10 verses here of Isaiah 57, and we were actually, and I, I really appreciate your brother mentioning this, um, because yes, it, it, we, we, we always just have the word you in English, but we never, you know, we don't know if it's you or y'all or, or even, as you noted, there's actually a gender switch here from, yeah. from masculine kind of targeting kind of individual men who are perpetrating these things to talking about, um, you know, the, the people as the, as God's bride, which is language that you have both in the New Testament, bride of Christ stuff. Uh, also in the Old Testament there. 
all same same kind of uh, imagery, like the the wife of of Yahweh. And so, as you look at this description, and you're like, well, this this doesn't apply to us. We're not doing child sacrifice. Well, maybe we are, but I'll let you get to that in a minute here. Uh, we're yeah. not doing child sacrifice to Molech. You know, we, we aren't, um, you know, going with all these, you know, perfumes and oils and going like and, and having these sorts of uh, sexual perversions under the oak trees. Okay. Yeah. Maybe we're not engaging in these particular sorts of forms of idolatry that were going on in the land of Judah um, in the wake of the Babylonian disaster. But I mean, yes, concerning this this perversion that happens to the collective, to the people of God, uh, to the things that the even the bride of Christ is subjected to today, well, that is something, unfortunately, that we can relate to. Yes, to be sure. What's interesting, he starts out in verse 3, he wa- he, when he speaks to this, um, you know, the, this, the masculine, you know, to the men here, he right. first wants him to draw near. So th- this is actually good news, because like you mentioned before, John the Baptist, he cried out, repent. And so that's what Isaiah is doing here. He is exposing the sin and not holding back the totality of the wickedness of the people. But he wants him, he wants him to hear it. You know, come here, listen, and this is what you're doing. I mean, this is, I mean, this is, well, Obviously, it's prophetic speech, right? This is the mm-hmm. word of the Lord coming to bear. And he does not pull any punches. It's not kind of, you know, I, I know I do this obviously too, and you do probably too in your sermons, like we're all sinners. Well, yes, we are. But sometimes the people of God need to hear about the very specific sins into which they have fallen. And that's what Isaiah right. is doing here. He, he is pointing them out. And the first thing that they do in verse 4 is, is they're mocking the faithful ones. Right. They're, so there, there are still faithful ones in Judah. And right. they are getting mocked for their faithfulness. Now, I think, uh, I don't know, obviously there's probably not too many uh, high schoolers that are listening or college kids listening to us right now live because they're all in school. But I think <laughs> that for our young people, and hopefully they're going to listen as they're going to download it later, right? That's what I'll tell yeah, my kids go. to do, right? There you go. But Sounds good. Obviously, a young person, they know the, the intense pressure of being a faithful believer in the midst of a completely apostate society. And they get mocked for simple things, which should be simple, about maintaining their virginity as a Christian. They get right. mocked for that. Uh, right. simply because or or, or, per, or perhaps if they if they get married younger than you know like I mean what is like we're delaying marriage to like you know 35 or 40 these days right yeah. you know, like heaven forbid they should you know get married in in their early 20s or you know even younger because you know they are trying to maintain the virtue of chastity right and they find uh, a good man or woman of god that they want to commit themselves to right that's right that's right and and so they're they're getting or then let's say they do get married and they want to have the gift of children right away. Right, right. And people are like, what's wrong with you? You need to, right. you know, I don't know, wait, make lots of money, do some things, travel to Europe for a month or something. I don't know. And they, and they get mocked for just the everyday, ordinary way of a quiet Christian life following their Savior. And that gets, it's the, it becomes the object of scorn and derision. And yeah. so there's, there, there's just, 
so our people today, whether it's young people or any of us, we can say, hey, um, what you are enduring, the faithful people of God endured in the past. And here the Lord is telling those that are um, speaking against God's good and gracious will for your life, he's speaking against them. And, and so we can take some comfort in in the vindication of a faithful life. <laughs> God, God does stand and he does speak and he does defend us even as we seek to follow him. Now we might not see the the full vindication of a faith-filled right. life now, but we will in the end. Amen. So anyway. Amen. No, thank you. That, that's, a, that's a very um, apropos application here. Um, and certainly I think there's uh, many other ways in which we, we see this. Um, just, of course, we've talked about how, you know, the, the idea of exile, it can seem like a very apt metaphor for the current situation of the church in the Western world today. Um, but let's go ahead and make sure that we do uh, get to the halfway point here. There are three more verses um, in this first half before we, we make a pretty big turn at verse 14. So just uh, quickly turning to these last three verses of this first portion in chapter 57. Whom did you dread and fear so that you lied and did not remember me, did not lay it to heart? Have I not held my peace even for a long time and you do not fear me? I will declare your righteousness in your deeds, but they will not profit you. When you cry out, let your collection of idols deliver you. The wind will carry them all off. A breath will take them away. But he who takes refuge in me shall possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain. And there's that vindication I think you were talking about. And I do think that, you know, this is a situation where, I mean, think about it. This exile has been going on for like 70 years it makes sense that those faithful Judahites are being mocked. You know, here's the rest of them saying, haven't you guys kind of given up on like the old Yahweh worship? It didn't really seem to work out for us, right? We had the Babylonians come like, it's time to move on. You know, it's, you know, they, they would say to themselves, you know, hey, it's like, you know, it's, it's 540 BC, you know, I mean, come on, times are changing, you know, <laughs> Yeah. you know, of course they didn't use that calendar, but, um, but, you know, and so it looked, it looked, it looked bad. Right. And it, and it looked like, you know, you know, there were this tiny minority, nothing was going to come of it, but, you know, we know that, you know, what, what's coming around the bend here is that the exiles are going to return from Babylon. Guy is going to work this and, and, and actually the temple is going to be rebuilt and they are going to possess the land and through the leadership of Ezra, I mean, they're even going to be uh, kicking out some of these foreign influences that have infiltrated. So, uh, I mean, like it's, it's coming and it's not by the worship of any of these idols that they have found for themselves in Judah, uh, nor the idols, as, as I said in previous chapters, um, the idols that they had found for themselves in Babylon, neither the ones here or there, God's going to make this happen. And he is actually literally in, in history going to give them, some vindication um, when the temple is rebuilt and God's people uh, find find their way at least uh, for a short while there in Judah. Yeah. So he what he's doing here at the conclusion of this is you know up to verse thirteen is you know he's exposing the idolatrous behavior. He is you know saying you know you're you're killing your children. You're offering them to the false gods. Uh, you you're engaging in wanton sexual immorality. Um, both you uh, individually and you collectively, and this is happening. And when you get to verse 11, it's like, you, you've forgotten me. 
and the yeah. things that you've held on to, they're not going to deliver, right? So whether you were falling in, into the gods of uh, Babylon or, you know, these old Canaanite ones that were still hanging around, right. um, that's why verse 13, when you're crying out for help, let them deliver you. They're not going to help you mm-hmm. uh, because, of course, they don't exist. <laughs> they're, they're fake. They're made up. I mean, the idolatrous behavior that you've engaged in certainly does exist, but they're not going to help. In the end, when you are facing the judgment of the true Lord Yahweh, you have to look to him. And that's why it, it always it becomes a cry of uh, a, a call to repent, to turn, to turn from the idolatry, to turn from the fornication, to turn from prostitution, to turn from uh, even the, uh, the slaughter of infants. Turn from all of that. Right. In me, there's refuge and hope, even forgiveness and even salvation. And that's what he's inviting them to do. So when we right. look at our, our own society, we see these things happening. I mean, I, it's, it's unimaginable to think about... 50 million children legally killed in our country since 1973. I mean, you can't even put your wrap your head around that number. No, it, uh, it, goes, it goes up there with disasters like like the Holocaust. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's greater. I mean, in magnitude, ten times. It is. Yes. And you you can't even uh, think about these are human beings that have been sacrificed to a false god. And sadly, even Christian people, as we know, have engaged both in adultery and prostitution, in immorality. Look at the look at the rampant use of pornography. What is it other than idolatrous behavior? And people, maybe as you said, they're not doing it under oak trees, but they're doing it in their offices and in their homes with their laptop. Right. And no, that's right. And but here here's the great thing. Come to me. Take refuge in me. That's what God still invites this wanton whoring people to do. And he'll forgive them. He does. A- absolutely. It, I mean, it, the does. call to repentance, right? It, it's harsh, right? You know, like uh, John the Baptist, his language, you know, you, you brood of vipers, right? Like not, yeah. not very a uh, pleasant thing to be called, right? But as, as you said, you know, the, the, the watchdogs, to use the previous chapter's metaphor, the watchdogs are barking and the barking is scary and loud and unpleasant, but they're doing it because there's danger and the hope is that you will avoid it. The, yes. the, the hope is that you will be spared, you know, the, the law is preached um, only because we want to offer the gospel in the yeah. next breath. And and so this is this is and this is, this is doing a good job of preparing us for the second half here, because starting in verse 14, it makes it clear there is there is comfort for those who are contrite, for those who are sad, for those who are sorry, who acknowledge their guilt before God. And, and, and finally, when we get to the last verse, right, it, it recalls what we saw back in Isaiah chapter 48, when he said, you know, there is no peace for the wicked. Why, why did God say that back in chapter 48? Well, he said it to the exiles in Babylon, 
because mm-hmm. he wants them to get out of there. He doesn't want them to That's stay. Right. Don't don't stick around, right? Get out of this mess. I want something better for you. And now yep. he's saying to the people in Judah, you know, not because he wants them to, to run away from Judah, but because he wants them to get out of these these high places and these trees and, you know, these things that are going on behind closed doors. He wants them to get out of there and into his presence to come near, as you just mentioned. Yes. So let's go ahead and read this this last section here. I'm going to go ahead and read the the, the whole thing in its totality. Um, it, it does. It's it's hard. There's a lot in here, and, and of course, I think we can go back and there's particularly some things in verses 14 and 15 that are, I think are worth looking at. But uh, we can read the whole thing and kind of appreciate it as one unit, and then we can go over it in a little bit more detail here. We still have a, a good chunk of time, so here it is, 14 through 21. And it shall be said, build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstruction from my people's way. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. For I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry. For the spirit would grow faint before me and the breath of life that I made. Because of the iniquity of his unjust gain, I was angry. I struck him. I hid my face and was angry. But he went on backsliding in the way of his own heart. I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners, creating the fruit of the lips Peace, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Boy, there's there's beautiful things and uh, frightening things, both law and gospel in this section, isn't right. there? Right, yeah. Um he he wants at the beginning in verse 14 and he does this for us today everything i mean of course he, verse 14 is it's going to be the call back and the return from exile right it's going to be building mm-hmm. up and preparing the way and all right. the obstructions in the people's way that's that's a promise for them that you know that there will be a restoration for a time in judah but also mm-hmm. for us now today in in the church of christ every obstacle to the faith and the purity of the preaching of the gospel needs to be getting out of the way. And that call, it's a call to righteousness and holiness and repentance. Get rid of the sin that's weighing you down. Uh, turn away from all these obstructions to the glory of Christ. Cast aside the works of darkness. Come into the light. And that's why in verse 15, um, in contrast to what they thought Molech and the Canaanite gods, you know, they dwelt amongst the trees in their sexual perversity and immorality. That's what was going on previous in the chapter. Well, God is exalted. And, you know, going all the way back to chapter 6 of this book, you know, when Isaiah is brought into the heavenly throne room, you know, now we get this image again here in yep. verse 15. You right. know, and, of course, verse 15 um, goes back to Isaiah chapter 6. What's his right. name? Holy. And holy, he's in the holy. holy. Exactly. So the, the song of the angels, which Isaiah heard 
and saw, uh, that name is now here again. Um, and that, of course, uh, adds to the, the unity of the whole book, you know, all 66 chapters, right? Mm-hmm. His name is holy. So, but he's the one who is getting rid of all of these obstructions and preparing the way for his people. He's high. He's lifted up. He is eternity. He's from eternity. And this, of course, the one who has been lifted up is the one who is from eternity, who is the eternal Holy One. It's the Son of God, our Lord Christ. Well, and, and, and as you were saying, it, it's we remember what happens in chapter 6, and it's important to, to recall that this this isn't just a, you know, a, I mean, a title. I mean, it certainly is. But like what happens in chapter 6, he is the Holy One, but he sends his, his angel, his messenger, to then, you know, purge, the the iniquity from the lips of isaiah isaiah knows he's not worthy to be in the presence of the holy one but the holy one doesn't just say well i guess you're just going to die then he says no like i'm going to do something about it i'm going to actually remove the 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 obstruction myself Um, and so and so i mean it's it's important when you when we recall that context here that it's you know i mean this i mean this is i mean the, the language that he himself says later on in verse 18 like but i will heal him you yeah. know, it's not just holy, like, you know, like, you know, cower before me, mere mortals, but like, I'm the one who can actually do something about the problem that you find yourselves in. Yes. He, cause that's verse 15, you know, so he's up high in the holy place where the angels are separate, but no, guess what? He's not separate. I'm right. with him who's of contrite and a lowly spirit, and I revive the spirit of the lowly. I revive the heart of the contrite. So, you know, yes, maybe you've been one of these who have engaged in these sinful practices, but the Lord loves those of a contrite spirit, and he lifts up the lowly, uh, just like uh, Mary sings, of course, during this Advent season. Right. Well, and, and also, yes, right. Yeah, I, I love that the liturgical connection, and I also think about um, it wasn't like too long ago that that we had the Beatitudes read in connection with All Saints Day, yes. um, which is a fitting, of course, recollection given our first couple of verses here in chapter fifty-seven, talking about the the rest and the peace of the saints. That you know, we had that Beatitude. You know, those um, who are of a of a poor spirit, who are poor in spirit, right? I mean, that's like the same idea there. Those who are contrite and those who know that they desperately need God's grace and mercy, and they don't have anything to offer. Yeah, that's right, and that's each and every one of us. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's me and you, it's everybody who's listening to us today, it's the whole world. And, and he, he calls us to repent and to believe his promises. And here's his promise. I come down, and, and I'm with you. I mean, this is the Holy One speaking, and of course, our Lord Jesus Christ says, I'm with you always. It's the promise of our baptism into Christ and the sure and certain words that he gives. I'm dwelling with you, and I come to revive your spirit. When, and in verse 16, I'm not going to contend with you forever. I'm not going to be angry with you forever. I've made you. I, I, I've put, put my life into you. Right. And, of course, this is the thing about... The spirit that God has given to us, his Holy Spirit, it's Jesus gave up his spirit on Good Friday. He breathed his last, as it says, only that we would be filled with that very same breath of life. When he breathed on his disciples in the upper room, that they would go out and preach. 
the forgiveness of sins and to retain it. And of course, Isaiah is a little bit big on the retaining part in the beginning of this chapter, exposing it. But that's what Jesus sent uh, his disciples to do. They received it, and that's what we have too. They're re- receiving the Holy Spirit and this breath of life, and uh, he, he put it into us. He's made us to be alive. Right. Yeah. The, the, the breath of life imagery, it's interesting. I mean, it hasn't come up, I feel like, that many times in Isaiah. I mean, certainly we've seen the breath imagery, and we had it actually just a few verses ago where it says in verse 13, you know, when you cry out, let your idols deliver you. The wind will carry them off. A breath will take them away. We've had the breath come up before in terms of, you know, God, you know, breathes out this, this gust of wind and just blows away all of our wickedness and idolatry. You know, no one can stand before his wrath. But I mean, here it's the, it's a recollection of the breath of life. And I mean, it, the, the wording, it's strikingly similar to Genesis and, and the ESV helpfully has this note there, um, on verse 16, for I will not contend forever. It, it recalls how in Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, um, you know, after it, it makes the note that wickedness is just multiplying uh, upon the face of the earth in terrible ways. Um, and then it says, um, then the Lord said, my spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. And mm-hmm. I mean, it, you have that that same um, the, the, the kind of very, very similar wording here. I mean, so this is just kind of highlighting just this chapter, the way it just connects like all over the book of Isaiah from beginning to end, the way it talks about other parts of Scripture, um, how it gets drawn up, upon even the Apocrypha. But uh, what an interesting uh, thing to think of that as what, when, when, you know, God says, you know, my spirit shall not abide in man forever, how that's kind of in this light of Isaiah, there, there's something merciful in that because— if God were to let the breath of life abide in us in our current condition forever, he would just be contending with us forever, as it says in verse 16. <laughs> he would just be angry with us forever if he allowed the breath of life to go on like this in this state. But he does actually take it away so that, as, as he says then, right, um, so that he can heal and so he can make alive um, yeah. So that we can have the breath of life anew in a way where he's not fighting with us and he's not angry with us because we're in the image of his son in the resurrection. That's exactly right. Yep. And and, and the thing is, in, in verses, um, in verse 18, he says, you know, I've seen. So I, yeah. I, I know the way I... I this is the great thing about that particular passage. I mean, it's also fearful that, you know, there's no secret sins. No. As, as, as much as you think you might be able to hide them, uh, God knows them all. And he knows that you maybe have backslid into the way of the flesh and its desires. God knows that. But he promises to heal that. And, of course, going back to chapter 53, where does that healing come from? From the stripes that his suffering servant, his beloved son, Jesus Christ, endured. That's how he's done it. Uh, He's healed you there in his son's cross and bitter suffering and death. And then there's comfort. 
right. lots of comfort, great yeah. joy it's, and peace. It's very similar to chapter 40, comfort, comfort, my people, and, and, you know, a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare yeah. the way of the Lord. I mean, th- this section, it definitely recalls like the, the opening, um, you know, phrases like you have in this second half of Isaiah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he's going to lead, he's going to restore, he's going to comfort, and all of it is in this great peace that he's going to give to everybody who's close, you know, for the, those who are still in Judah, those who are far, still in exile, those who are Gentiles, everybody. Right. I'm going to heal That's them. right. And you get that you get that phrase to to the far and near. I mean, that's what you have picked up in, in Acts, right? When when yeah. Peter is preaching and he's talking about this promise of baptism, this promise of repentance and grace, even though you're the ones who put him on the cross, it's for you, for you and your children, for those who are far and near. Yep. Uh, so I mean it, it fits beautifully, um, just you can see the parallels between that Pentecost situation and then this situation with the, the reuniting of God's people in the promised land and being purged of their idolatry. Uh, we only have like one minute left, but just, just very briefly, you know, I, I feel like our, our gut instinct as 21st century Americans is like, we should just end the chapter right there, right at the mm-hmm. end of verse 19. <laughs> but yeah. Isaiah has this way of always ending on a down note. I mean, chapter 66 does the exact same thing, right? Like the last verse yeah, yeah. Of, of Isaiah of is just unforgettable if you go that far. But so why, why end on this uh, little uh, end note? Only like 30 seconds here, but yeah, going back to no like peace. tossing sea. Yeah, yeah. No, there's no peace for the wicked. I mean, it's kind, of, it's kind of a first use of the law, right? Yeah. So, hey, here's the promise of peace and the great joy that is going to be for those who are uh, in with the Lord, his suffering servant, and for us, our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't fall back. There's nothing there for you. There's no peace. That's right. Stick with keep, our Lord on, Jesus Christ. That's right. Keep on looking ahead at our Lord and Savior. Yep. Amen. Brother, so good having you on. I hope we have you on again really soon. Peace and joy this Advent and then Christmas season. You too. Thanks so much. Everybody, this was Pastor Ben Ball, pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois. Till next time, everybody. Peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.